your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, a new internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Researchers recently announced that a healthy amount of fiber and whole grain foods in the diet not only protects against colon cancer, it also protects against cancer developing in the small intestine. To gauge the effects of dietary fiber and whole grain foods for protecting against the occurrence of small bowel cancer, researchers analyzed data gathered in 1995 and 1996 from 293,703 men and 198,618 women in a diet and health study. During follow-up over an average of seven years, cancer of the small intestine was diagnosed in only 165 study subjects. Results showed that those with the highest intake of fiber from grains relative to those with the lowest had a significant 49% reduction in the risk of developing small bowel cancer. Those with the highest intake of whole grain foods had a 41% reduction in small bowel cancer risk relative to those with the lowest intake of whole grain foods. Current recommendations call for U.S. adults to consume 20 to 35 grams of dietary fiber per day, but studies have shown that the average American's daily intake of dietary fiber is only 12 to 18 grams. The one-fifth of people in the current study with the lowest fiber intake averaged 12 grams per day, and the one-fifth in the highest ranking took in an average of 28 grams per day. In other news, another recent study revealed disappointing news for men hoping that antioxidant supplements might prevent prostate cancer. Vitamin E and selenium don't reduce the risk of the disease, either when taken separately or combined. Contrary to earlier trials, where vitamin E and selenium showed promise in preventing prostate cancer, in the study, which involved 35,000 men over the age of 50, doctors actually noticed a small increase in the number of prostate cancers among men taking vitamin E alone, as well as a small increase in adult-onset diabetes among men taking only selenium. Scientists note that they haven't finished their final analysis of the data, so those trends could be the result of chance rather than a real danger from supplements. Still, researchers who led the trial, which involved men at more than 400 sites in North America and Puerto Rico, have told participants to stop taking their pills. Researchers will continue to follow the men for three years. Men in the study will continue to have checkups, which may include prostate cancer screenings. Researchers also will keep blood samples, which will help doctors study prostate cancer and other diseases. An estimated 186,000 men will learn they have prostate cancer this year, and nearly 29,000 men will die from the disease, according to the National Cancer Institute. 
Scientists say the massive research project used the gold standard for study designs, making its results highly reliable. In 2001, researchers randomly assigned men to take the supplements or placebo, and neither patients nor their primary care doctors knew which pills they were taking. The study's directors say they hope to learn why vitamin E and selenium failed to live up to the promise shown in earlier trials. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. With over 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States today, we all know someone who's been affected by the disease. We also know that with the diagnosis of cancer often comes a sense of helplessness, especially as patients begin their treatment. Although cancer patients, as well as their friends and family members, rely on the expertise of their oncologist to treat their illness, the vast majority of patients often look for other ways beyond medicine to improve the quality of their lives as they go through cancer. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of proper nutrition and exercise, both of which can have a profound effect on the well-being of someone with cancer. Managing a healthy diet and maintaining a reasonable exercise routine are ways that cancer patients and their loved ones can take back control in a situation that offers, often renders people feeling pretty helpless. Today, we're joined by Beth Booker. Beth is a cancer survivor and a registered dietitian. She currently works at Covenant Therapy Centers, the largest provider of rehabilitation services in East Tennessee, and also volunteers at our wellness community in East Tennessee. She runs the Nutrition Ammunition Class there. Welcome, Beth. Welcome. Good to be here, Kim. And uh, we also have today Pamela Bradshaw, who is a cancer survivor, too. Uh, Pamela is a certified yoga teacher and also volunteers at the wellness community East Tennessee. Uh, She teaches their gentle yoga class there. Pamela also writes a monthly yoga newsletter on her website, www.yogainnoxville.com, and she is co-writing a book called Breast Cancer Wisdom, which is based on the journeys of 12 women with cancer. Thanks for joining us, Pam. Thank you. Appreciate it. So it's, it's great to have both of you here with us today to talk about nutrition, to talk about exercise. We've got a lot of questions for you, uh, a lot of information that we want to cover today. So I'm just going to jump right in. Um, obviously, unique perspective. You both uh, had cancer yourself. So I'd like to go back to the day that each of you were diagnosed with cancer. Um, tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. You both have these amazing stories. Um, what was that like for you? And moving forward, really, how did that help to shape your perspective on nutrition and exercise? Um, Beth, let me start with you. Sure, Kim. Well, you know, the day I was first diagnosed with cancer was more like a two- or three-month process mm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I had cancer. I found a lump in my neck and during a yoga class, oddly enough, in an odd position, uh, my physician felt it was probably just inflammation. We went through all the steps of that, um, and he seemed an- satisfied with that answer, that it was inflammation. Ah, everybody has a node. It's fine, because I wasn't manifesting any sign of disease, mm-hmm. but it took me about nine months of insistence and in going to some specialists to finally say to a physician, if it's nothing, take it out. Yeah. And the physician came back from the surgery and said to my husband, yeah, it's probably nothing. It looked fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing. Go on home. Three days later, I got the call at the hospital where I work. It was actually a page. And the voice on the other end of the phone said, you have head and neck cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an interesting phone message. I mean, I felt like I had had something I'd been chasing for about nine months at that time. But 
you know, it was that one day, that one voice on the phone um, saying, there it is. That really was a turning point and cornerstone in my life. I had been a volunteer at the wellness community before in graduate school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I knew from my work in the hospital that I really needed help. The people I see here in the hospital are genuinely sick with cancer. I needed to hit the ground running with a lot of information and support. I needed to see people that were actually living with cancer, that weren't letting cancer keep them sort of in the hospital and all sick. I needed to see the people who were functioning on a day-to-day basis, and I knew that I'd find that support at the wellness community. Did you know anything about head and neck cancer at that time? I didn't, and I read a lot of the research. Uh, It was really bad. I should have been a 55-year-old male, perhaps of Chinese descent, who liked alcohol a lot. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's really not me. Um, I was about 40 at the time. I was walking five miles a day. I'd been vegetarian for about 15 years. I was not the usual person. And so I went to the wellness community thinking, and I also should say I had head and neck cancer of unknown primary, mm-hmm. meaning they couldn't find the site to, to, that the cancer originally came from to treat just that small specific site. So I came to the wellness community not thinking necessarily that I would find someone who had exactly what I had, but that I might find some other people who are coping with the larger picture of living with cancer on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was through the love and support of that group, which had many, many twists and turns. I mean, we lost friends to cancer. We brought new people into our fold. Mm -hmm. It was through that love and support of that group that I knew even when I graduated, so to speak, from my support group, that I needed to spend more time at the wellness community and I needed to be helping people. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, amazing, amazing story. Yeah. Pam, how about you? Tell us about your story. Well, um, well my, uh, <laughs> after hearing Beth's story, I, I'm, a lot of things were really resonating for me, too, as far as that, you know, those initial words of, of uh, you know, you have cancer. Yes. Um, I've, I've been, had the unfortunate um, uh, situation of being diagnosed twice with breast cancer. The first time was with a routine mammogram. Mm-hmm. Um, of, from which I was stage one and was able to, uh, you know, complete treatment with a lumpectomy and some lymph nodes removed and radiation. The second time around, my diagnosis was inflammatory breast cancer, which is a a very rare form of breast cancer. I think um, maybe one to five percent of breast cancer is um, that type of diagnosis. Very aggressive, requires very aggressive treatment. And so, you know, I went through all of the the chemotherapy and surgery and uh, did not do radiation at that time, but did um, uh, hormonal therapy. Um, It was really, it was after my first diagnosis and after completing treatment was when I um, decided to try some things that would help me to reduce stress and tension. Uh, I was not living in the Knoxville area at the time, so we didn't have the benefit of the wellness community. But I did find a yoga class mm-hmm. and was able to get, um, you know, really into that, that type of um, movement and breathing and meditation. Um, when I moved to Knoxville was when I got my second diagnosis, and that was where I really got the big wake-up call. Wow. And was a huge turning point for me 
in that I was um, realizing that I really needed to have some help beyond the loving, nurturing support of my family and friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, I found the wellness community, um, was able to, you know, just at first I walked in there with kind of not knowing what I was getting myself into and kind of thinking that first day as I, as I was sitting there filling out papers and things, of, um, you know, I guess, well, if, if it doesn't work for me, I can just, um, I can just spend, you know, a little bit of time and, and then never come back yeah. because I definitely didn't want to be involved in a group of people who were just whining and complaining about their disease. Yes. And I found, in fact, what welcomed me was laughing. The, the group of people, you know, were, were laughing as I entered the room, and I thought, I think this is going to be a place, a healing place for me. A good sign. Yeah. Not something you might initially expect from a group of people with cancer. Absolutely not, you know, and I think that was the thing. And it's not that there weren't those times, you know. There were some, were definitely moments within that support group where we, um, where we held each other up and listened to each other's woes and that sort of thing. But for the most part, it was very um, uh, affirming, life-affirming. And, um, you know, a safe place where you could go and share things where people didn't look at you like, um, like a deer in the headlights, uh, which is oftentimes what you get um, from, you know, people who don't understand. And who haven't and, been through that experience. Right, haven't been through the experience. And you, um, Pam, now you have, I understand, three children, six grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Is That's that right? right? That's right. And yeah. so you have quite a quite a robust uh, kind of loving group around you, but despite that, the support and the love there, um, if someone hasn't been through the experience, they can't quite understand it. Is that what you're saying? I, yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely true, and I I, I really feel like that's a, um, a a gift that I've been given in a lot of ways in order to work with, you know, in the work that I do through the wellness community with the with the yoga, and I've also taught some visual journaling. Uh, courses there that, you know, I, I think it puts me in a place of, of uh, being more connected yeah. with what people are going through. Beth, um, before we go to our uh, break in a couple of minutes, I know you had um, a bit of a surprise after your yeah, treatment I, from cancer. Can you tell I, us that I story? I was smiling thinking of Pam with this huge group of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren around her. We're not that much different in age. Uh, I was... 45, I had been told that the chemo had taken care of all my women's stuff, let's just say, and that I would never have children. Well, I was 45, and I was okay with that. Right. I began to experience a little abdominal swelling and started working out a little more with a trainer. Um, I was building myself back up physically, but I just kept complaining. I had some cramping in my belly. Um, I got diagnosed with irritable bowel and treated for that for a couple months when it wasn't getting any better. And I finally bought one of those grocery store pregnancy tests and found out that at age 45, I was five months pregnant. <laughs> um, my daughter was born very quickly. or you know, I had like a three-and-a-half, four-month pregnancy, so yeah, it was the quickest yeah. pregnancy on record. Uh, my coworkers were just so tickled because they knew what a, an awful time I had had through my treatment. My husband was deer in headlights, as were our families, because we had no children. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter was born in a three-hour labor and delivery. She is five now. She is magnificent, if I do She's say so beautiful. myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that. it was my oncologist just 
he learned about it by a letter from my GI doc before I got a chance to tell him. And he just sat and cried because he was so happy. Um, he's, all he could say was, we're men, and sometimes we just miss the obvious stuff. You know, we don't think about that. So she's five now? She's five. Her name is Lauren. Her name is Lauren. She's in kindergarten at this point. And a real surprise post, uh, post-cancer, post-cancer treatment, huh? Oh, amen. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, and a really good reason for me to keep on top of all this being healthy stuff. There you go. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, we're talking today on Frankly Speaking about cancer, about uh, nutrition and exercise during and after cancer treatment. Uh, we are going to take a quick break right now, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Beth Booker, a cancer survivor and registered dietitian, and Pam Bradshaw, cancer survivor and certified yoga instructor. We are talking about the importance of diet and exercise and what you can do to play an active role in improving your cancer experience. And we've just had a chance to hear from Beth and Pam about their own personal cancer experiences. And now we're going to get into some uh, some conversation and advice from both of them about uh, both nutrition and exercise. So, Beth, let, let me start with you. When someone is in active treatment, how do you recommend that they think about nutrition? So, um, you know, talk to us generally, but then also, you know, what are some, uh, some, some things that people can eat, let's say, if they have an upset stomach or maybe they're dealing with mouth sores from chemo or radiation? So tell us broadly kind of how we think about nutrition and then maybe some specific tips and advice for some of the most common things that people experience. Well, sure, Kim. It seems to me that when people are first diagnosed with cancer and they're in active treatment, they want to grab hold and seize on to doing as much as they can. 
fortunately and unfortunately, uh, that many times leads people to rethink their diet. Um, many times people in America don't eat as in as healthy a way as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, unfortunately, people run to trying to change their diet for the fact that sometimes people go to extremes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's hard to find the middle point because there is so much in your life that's out of control when you're yeah. first diagnosed that what you put in your mouth is one thing you do think you can control. Yeah. And people can go overboard with it. So my first thought is that when you're in active treatment, you really need to talk to your physician mm-hmm. and if there's a nutritionist on the team in any of your cancer treatment areas or uh, at the support center where you are, talk to them about what you've got going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's huge. Some people don't realize that certain herbs and vitamins, mineral treatments can decrease the effectiveness of their chemotherapy or radiation treatments. That's a great point. Why on earth, if you're going through chemo or radiation, why on earth would you want to negate some of the effects of that? Beth, I want, you to say that. I want you to say that again because I think it's so important so people really yeah. understand what yeah. you're saying. When you are undergoing chemo or radiation treatment to kill this cancer, why on earth would you compromise the effectiveness of that treatment and by what you're saying is taking that sometimes, herbs and vitamins that yeah. may counteract it. Now, in some cases, Kim, the effect of the herb or the vitamin may be diminished by the chemo. In other effects, chances it may be increased in okay. effectiveness. And so you don't know. And so you've got, not, to, you've got to do your research. You've got to be talking to your doctor, telling yeah. your doctor everything that you're taking. Absolutely. Okay. And you've got to work with your doctor for your plan. I referred to my doctor sometimes, one of them, as my Gilligan. Mm-hmm. He was, I was the captain of the ship. He was the first mate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was there to give me a lot of terrific advice because he knew all about those drugs and that kind of stuff. But I also had to be in charge because so much in my life uh, was out of control. So you've got to set goals, you've got to have plans, and you've got to especially be talking with your team if you're doing any complementary alternative therapies. We're not against all that kind of stuff. We just want to make sure we know what's going on and that where you're getting the maximum benefit of your treatment. Do you think sometimes patients don't want to reveal that to their doctor? Oh, I do. I they think, think we're that scared. Western medicine is sometimes against some of those complementary type uh, therapies. I do. I do. And, you know, it's a huge area. There are treatments that people want to do that are extreme, Kim, mm-hmm. but there are also things that are very well reasonable. Mm-hmm. So I think you've just got to have that open kind of dialogue with your healthcare team on all those things. And, you know, if your team isn't open and doesn't want to have dialogue with you on that, then you need to reserve the right to hire a new team. That, that will be really in sync with you about uh, your priorities yeah, and, and your supportive. decisions. That's right. That's right, because it's a group effort. It's Great. a group effort. Yeah. Now, as far as specifics you can do, um, one of the biggest side effects for chemo treatment is nausea and vomiting, mm-hmm. mouth sores. Now, we've got a lot of great new drugs on board. Chemo is not the thing it was 10, 15, 20 years ago where everybody right. was sitting in the chemo room throwing up. Right. It's better, but there are things you can do to help control it. You can eat six to eight small meals a day okay. instead of large meals. I advise a lot of my people to keep a muffin tin full of nuts sitting out 
somewhere in their house. Uh, pick a few out and eat those every time they go past. There's 400 calories and a lot of good protein and monounsaturated fats in that small amount of food. Now, why is it good to, to, to eat the smaller meals, to spread them out? To decrease nausea. Okay. 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 Dry foods and carbohydrate foods like crackers and toast, dry cereals, help reduce nausea. Sometimes your stomach gets a little nauseous simply because it's empty. Mm-hmm. Avoid foods that have strong odors. Okay. Eat cool, temperatured foods. They convey less odor, and they're easier on your stomach. Okay. Um, avoid rich and greasy things. That's probably obvious, but... It bears being said, yeah. Um, If you need to rest, be sure to sit up or recline with your head raised up for at least an hour after eating. That decreases uh, stomach acid coming up into your esophagus. with the digestion. Oh, absolutely. As far as mouth sores, talk to your doc about that because that's a big problem. Um, There are a lot of good medications for that, and there are also some over-the-counter things like biotin gel, which you can use to coat the inside of your mouth Mm -hmm. to reduce the pain of eating. Great. All right, we're going to come back to you, Beth, and talk a little bit more about some of these nutritional issues. Um, And, again, I think some of these specific tips are great. So if you have more of those for us, we are certainly going to circle back on that. Pam, I want to talk a little bit about exercise. Um, uh, You you know, you've just been diagnosed with cancer. You start with this treatment uh, regimen. How do you find the right balance of of being active um, but not pushing yourself beyond your limits, not overdoing it? Um, You know, what if you you work? A, a real exerciser before you got diagnosed, or what if you weren't? You know, how do you take all those things into consideration when you think about exercise and activity during uh, active treatment? Right. Well, you know, I think the first thing that you need to do is consult your physician if you're under, um, you know, in in treatment. Yes. Um, talk with your doctor about it, um, and then come into some some sense of um, what what your body needs. Um, what I've discovered uh, is that people who were active before treatment yes. tend to want to overdo it when they're in treatment. Yeah. Um, they tend to think, well, if I, if I happen to be out running three miles four times a day, maybe I can run two miles three times a day or something. Yeah. And they often find that it, it depletes their energy and really you know, sends them down, down the spiral. Yeah. So, um, you know, really being in touch with, um, with what your body is telling you, what your physician is telling you is really important. Um, what I find since I, I teach a very gentle form of yoga, that most people who come to my classes um, are able to do just about everything, mm-hmm. um, whether they're in treatment or not, um, whether, you know, depending on whether or not they have been active exercisers or not before. Um, what I try to um, tell them, though, and, and really impress on people who are in treatment is to be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, be, go, go at it slow. Your body is working really hard um, to heal itself. Um, if you're trying to, to um, exercise too much or too um, being too active, mm-hmm. then you're you're going to negate the benefits. It's going to um, you know you're going to you're going to tear down your body, and the treatment is not going to be as effective. 
Um, that I, said, I think some movement is really necessary. Right. You know, some a lot of times people feel they feel sick, they feel tired, they don't don't feel like moving. It's, I think it's really important, and, and studies show that you know getting the lymphatic uh, fluids flowing and and um, not allowing that muscle loss, you know, that, that happens if you're inactive. It's, it's important to have some kind of activity, some stretching, some gentle movement, some, you know, moderate exercise without overdoing it. Yeah, I've heard some patients say, Pam, that they um, felt like they were too tired to exercise and they right. just, you know, were just exhausted and they just slept more and they slept more. Right. And um, once, they, once someone sort of inspired them to start to do some movement, uh, even just to walk around the block, some fresh air, that they actually started to feel better and less tired. Um, and they, they felt like they just needed to sleep more, but then they actually realized that actually getting some physical activity and exercise was helping to wake them up and not feel so tired. Right, absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm, I, I found that with myself. You know, when I was in in uh, active treatment, you know, in chemotherapy, there were days when all I wanted to do was just lay around and sleep. Yeah. But I found that if I got up and I took a little walk, if I did a few, a few gentle yoga stretches and poses, um, then it really did make a huge difference. Um, we're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes, but I want to just talk quickly about, um, about caregivers. And uh, we've been talking a lot about what patients should do, but how can someone with cancer use exercise and nutrition as kind of a way to connect with, with, with family and friends? Um, uh, uh, Beth, let me start with you on right. that question. Well, I know my friends were all interested in hearing the story when they found out I was first um, diagnosed with that. One of my quickest ways to connect with my friends and let them know what was going on was a series of emails, which I still have archived in my computer. Uh, they were Mine were entitled, We Have News. Oh, gosh, Kim, I can almost cry seeing the title mm-hmm. because it brings back such memories to me that I was sending out these notices, and I hated in one sense to use that email impersonal nature to tell my friends this big story, but it was better on my psyche than telling it again and again and again, Yeah, which really tore me down emotionally. But as far as the nutrition aspect, I mean, my friends really seized hold of a lot of opportunities. Um, As a way of connecting, I was sharing with them what I was learning about food and exercise, um, about preventing cancer. Um, Lots and lots of cancers are related to poor diet and sedentary lifestyle. So I really wanted them to know. I wanted them to see my example because I was really taking care of myself, yet I got cancer. And the other thing I think that I learned and, and was a way to connect was to allow your friends and family to support you with food, when that's a possibility, mm-hmm. but be true to yourself, too, and don't let people push you. Yeah. Um, I was always the person who did, did, did for other people. Yeah. The cancer was a time in my life when I had to sit back and learn how to receive yeah. good things from other people and allow people to do for me and my husband. And food becomes a way that people can express that emotion to you. Absolutely. People fed him uh, sometimes, even when I was eating through my feeding tube, as I did for many months. I never ate anything with my mouth. But food was one way people could find something to do for our family. 
and I just had to sit back and let them do that. And let them do that. Great. We yeah. are, um, that's, uh, I think, great advice, great input. Um, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with Beth and Pam. We're talking today about nutrition and exercise during cancer. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about the benefits of a proper diet and a healthy exercise routine for a person affected by cancer. We're joined by Beth Booker, a cancer survivor and a registered dietitian, and Pam Bradshaw, also a cancer survivor and a certified yoga instructor. Both of our guests volunteer at our wellness community in East Tennessee in Knoxville. Um, you know, I've heard over the years in talking to patients around the country, uh, I've heard people oftentimes refer to cancer as a wake-up call, um, whether it makes them realize they want to live their life more to the fullest or appreciate friends and family, maybe heal a damaged relationship, uh, that sometimes cancer can be a blessing in disguise. Um, I imagine both of you have probably observed some of this uh, in your work that, uh, uh, that you've done, but do you, do you find that cancer also makes people want to change their habits, want to change their lifestyle, they want to eat healthier, uh, exercise more as a result of having been through a cancer experience? Have you observed that in your work? Beth, let me let me start with you. Oh, absolutely, Kim. Um, it's as I said earlier, nutrition is one way that people can positively impact their life and the course of their treatment when it seems like so much else in their world is totally spinning out of control. Yeah. It's a way that people can affect the outcome of their treatment by keeping themselves properly nourished. I mean, you cannot kill cancer and renew those cells and rebuild your body without proper nutrition. You can reduce your chance of recurrence of your cancer mm -hmm. by proper nutrition, and you can decrease risk of other health issues that we know are nutrition-related, like diabetes, heart disease, stroke. Yeah. I mean, people 
though, as I've alluded to earlier, sometimes do really go to extremes. I think one thing it's appropriate to ask people or to think of when you're going through this yourself is, is what I'm doing doable on a long-term basis? Got it. Yeah, because... Is it sustainable? Can I do this every day, day in, day out? Absolutely. And the other thing is, what are the things I can change in my life that would give me the biggest bang for the buck? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see people who want to, let's say, go to all organic foods, which is a fabulous idea if your budget will afford it. But what are the foods I eat most commonly that are most associated with pesticide residual? So maybe I should, you know... Back up a little bit and change those foods first. Maybe I could sustain that longer and move in other directions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pam, what about you? Have you seen people in your in your yoga work? Have you seen people who've said, you know what, this you know this uh, cancer experience is gonna, really going to motivate me to get some exercise, to learn about stress reduction, to learn how to take a little bit more control of my life and do what I can do to both manage the disease and also, as best suggesting, perhaps do some things that might prevent a recurrence of the disease. Most definitely. I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, oftentimes uh, married couples coming into the, into the class and, uh, you know, the, the husband or wife supporting the cancer patient um, who is, you know, really wanting to, to change their lives. And I see them wanting to change um, in in many different areas of their lives, the the, the exercise, the movement, the, the uh, yoga, uh, dealing with stress, relaxation is a really big part of it. Um, they're changing their diets. They're looking at, um, you know, nutrition and how that affects their lives. They're looking at relationships. Um, they're, you know, all kinds of, I think it can be a, a huge, um, you know, as we often call it a wake-up call. It's like a part of ourselves that that awakens to the to the inner knowing, the inner knowing of there are ways that we can nurture and heal and care for ourselves that perhaps we weren't doing before or perhaps we were just misled in, in different areas. And mm-hmm. um, so, yes, definitely I, I see that all the time. All the time. So let's talk a little bit about, we, we, we talked about some of the ways that folks can address um, some of their uh, exercise and diet issues during active cancer treatment. Then you finish your treatment, then you move into what we call now this survivorship period, this post-treatment period. Um, are there uh, changes, uh, things that folks need to consider once they're done their treatment? They're kind of trying to get back to a, a normal life or what we sometimes call a new normal after cancer treatment. Um, Beth, are there, uh, you know, with regard to nutrition kind of, you know, maybe they're finishing up their treatment, they're starting to get their energy back, they're starting to feel better. Um, what are some of the considerations around nutrition as they move into this survivorship phase? Yeah, and you've got to remember, survivorship is the rest of your life. Yeah. I've got a few tips for that and ideas. The first thing I think, Kim and Pam, is you've really got to emphasize variety of foods in their diet. Look at colors. I tell my child all the time, make a pretty plate, meaning, you know, have some mm-hmm. red peppers, have some mm-hmm. broccoli, 
have, you know, don't make, a, a lot of us in America have this beige plate of food <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, the burger and fries. You've got to have variety. Yeah. And You've color. got to. There's a lot of different nutrients. The colors of food are key to the nutrients in them. And you've just got to have a lot of different stuff. You need to look at decreasing the intake of animal-based products probably that you have in your life. Sure, I've been vegetarian for about 20 years. I can speak to that. But the thing is, even if you're not going to become vegetarian, yeah. being vegetarian didn't keep me from getting cancer. Yeah. But the thing is, we know that diets high in animal products are generally higher in fat, lead to obesity, and it's all linked very closely to cancer. So look at increasing your plant foods, decreasing your meats. Mm-hmm. Um, use nutrition and exercise to achieve a good and healthy weight. We know obesity is linked to cancer. That's something we can all work on. And finally, enjoy food and have it all in moderation. I tell my class all the time that I fight cancer at every meal or snack or opportunity, but they also know that I can fight cancer at Ben and Jerry's. I mean, sometimes you just have to have other things. I don't want people to spend the rest of their life absolutely looking at every molecule of food they have. I don't want them to be paralyzed with it. You have to be able to still enjoy food. And enjoy life and and enjoy the social time together with people. Yeah, and make smart choices most of the time so that you can have those other things at other times. Just don't let those rule your life. So, Beth, quickly, I'm going to, before I go to Pam, I just want to hear quickly from you, Beth. I know we always see these lists of the top 10 healthiest foods or the, you know, top 10 things you should be eating. Can you just quickly kind of check off a list for us of some of the healthier foods that people should be thinking about? Any any cruciferous vegetable, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, those are high in indoles, vitamin A, and those fiber, really mm-hmm. high. Um, whole grains. Okay. Uh, nuts. We're learning much, much more about nuts. So those are a terrific help. So people resource. worry sometimes about the fat in nuts. Do people it's worry mono, about that? It's monounsaturated fat. Uh-huh. Most studies show that people who increase their intake of nuts subconsciously decrease their calories in other areas. Mm-hmm perhaps from less healthy fats. Okay. And most people who eat nuts actually weigh less. So it's all, and it's also about don't. the portions, I would imagine. Oh, it sure is. Right. It sure is. About an ounce is most of the portions. Um, what about omega-3s? What about fish, things like that? Uh, omega-3 fatty acids are key in some cancer fighting, also in heart disease. Mm-hmm. But you can also find them if you don't eat fish. Uh, you can also find them in flaxseed. I have lots of people who are using flaxseed, yeah, and people flax are who are using uh, some walnuts and other nuts to provide that. Great. Yeah, and, and don't forget fruits. And but most of the health benefit of all this stuff is in the skins. So, so we're talking about stuff from nature: fruits, vegetables, nuts. Yeah, things. closer to the way God made it, less like. You know, the people Man. made it to sit on the shelf for six months. Right. So we're going we're gonna to come back and talk a little bit more okay. about what we know about kind of prevention, reducing risk of recurrence. Um, Pam, let's talk about, okay, so um, you're, you know, you're through your treatment. You're feeling like you're getting your, your, some strength back. You, wanna, you really want to think about an exercise routine now in, when you move into survivorship. How should people think about that, Pam? Right. Well, you know, I think probably um, the, most important, um, the more, most important thing to think about is that, the activity, the exercise is safe, you know, mm-hmm. that, it's, that it's effective, that it's actually, you're actually accomplishing what you want to accomplish, and that it's enjoyable. It's something that you really love to do. So that you'll um, keep you it up? Not, yeah, you, you, may not, you may not entirely love it in the beginning, especially, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you've been pretty sedentary during your 
treatment. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to, to stay active during treatment, as active as you possibly can without diminishing your energy levels and, and counteracting, you know, the effects of the treatment. Um, but, you know, I think those things are, it, it's so important to find something, to have some variety in your activity. Um, if you're, you, you, you know, if you're used to, to walking, just walking, you might want to um, think about adding a, a yoga class or maybe mm-hmm. going to uh, a weight training. I know, well, a lot of people, um, and especially with those with um, who have undergone mastectomies and had the lymph nodes removed, um, that they are under the arm, especially, you know, the axillary dissection, they are at more risk for getting lymphedema. I think that there are other kinds of cancers too, lymphedema in the legs and different areas. Um, so, you know, there, there's the, I think the jury is still out on weight training, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're finding even, even light weight training for um, people, you know, breast cancer survivors is, is a good thing. It's important. can help build muscle mass. Definitely. It builds yeah. muscle mass. It gets the, the squeezing of the muscles is what gets that lymphatic fluid flowing, and that's what we want. We want to get... Great. So, Pam, we're just going to take a, a, a quick break. Um, we're talking today about exercise and nutrition for people with cancer. We're going to be right back because we have a lot to talk about today. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're having an amazing conversation today, very informative discussion with our two guests, Pam Bradshaw and Beth Booker, about the importance of diet and exercise during and after cancer. Um, I want to go back, Pam, just quickly. We were talking a little bit about uh, some of the things that folks can do once they're finishing up treatment, moving into survivorship, how they can get into a nice exercise routine, and also what we know about the importance of exercise in helping to prevent cancer or for those who've had cancer to help reduce a risk of a recurrence of cancer. So you were telling us a little bit about get active, find some things that you like so that you'll, you'll keep up with that. Let's, let's pick back up there. 
Okay. All right. Well, you know, it, it, I think that's probably of ultimate importance is finding something that you really enjoy doing and then finding a, you know, a, a variety of activities to, um, you know, to keep you interested. Um, I happen to gravitate towards yoga, but before I started doing yoga, I was into more aerobic type, uh, like jazzercise and, and things like that. There was, you know, more of a, a aerobic type exercise, a little bit of running, some walking. Um, I, if you, you know, probably in the beginning, sometimes uh, swimming, some very gentle um, things, mm-hmm. getting in the pool, doing a few of uh, the water aerobics or swimming is helpful. Um, riding on a stationary bicycle. If you do, if you're doing something, Pam, and you're in pain or you're uncomfortable or if it hurts, what should you do then? Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> My recommendation is always, if if it's painful. Don't do it. Okay. Find something else to do. Back off from it. Um, that's one of the first things um, that I tell students in a yoga class is um, we, we follow the tenet of non-harming, mm-hmm. and that begins with ourselves. We, we never do anything that harms. So if it's painful, if it hurts, don't do it. We don't, okay. we don't believe in the, the philosophy of no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. I, what I say is if there's pain, there is no gain. There is no gain. Right. Pam, do we know... Do we know definitively that exercise can help prevent or reduce the risk of a recurrence of cancer? Well, the Cancer Society has a lot of information about that, and, and basically studies are showing that it really, it really is, been, you know, exercise is very beneficial. It's helping to, um, for physiological um, strength and, and stamina, but it also, if, if anything, it's the quality of life. You know, people find that, that when they're active, they're moving, they're, they're eating proper, properly, um, having um, enriching relationships. It, it helps their quality of life. Are we doing enough research in this area, Pam? Well, I'm, I'm hoping. I know uh, one of the, one of the uh, most recent things I heard about is that um, Dean Ornish, Dr. Ornish, who had done the uh, reversing heart disease, Mm -hmm. is also doing um, a prostate cancer lifestyle trial. Mm -hmm. He works a lot with breast cancer um, uh, as well, with, um, you know, breast cancer support and lifestyle programs. And, uh, you know, there there are studies throughout um, that in particular. uh, is one that I happened to come across that I thought, you know, that it's, um, they're, they're beginning to show that there's a lot of benefit in, um, in exercise. Yeah. Beth, what about on the nutrition front? Tell us what we know about how nutrition can help either prevent cancer or reduce the risk of a recurrence of cancer. Well, like exercise, of course, I think nutrition isn't nearly as funded as it should be. I, I like to think that broccoli doesn't have the traditional, uh, the big backing of research bucks that many pharmaceuticals do, but, <laughs> you know, there's always hope for the future. Are you doing a campaign for broccoli, Beth? <laughs> I am really pro-broccoli, pro-broccoli. Uh, although the price of what it was at the store this last week, um, you know, wow, but, you know, that's, that's just part of the decision is, you know, when I'm eating more broccoli, I'm paying less on my health care probably in there the long go. run. There you go. Okay, and you're not the, buying those chips and other things too. Right. The things that, that we do, uh, that we are getting a grip on is things like the amount of um, decreased level of cancer in diets in general. These are big uh, retrospective studies in many cases mm-hmm. that 
the higher your intake of fruits and vegetables, the decreased risk of cancer. Mm-hmm. We know that nuts convey positive health attributes, uh, decreased cancers, decreased heart disease, decreased stroke, atherosclerosis, uh, decreased diabetes. Mm. We know that diets and intake of processed meats mm-hmm. relates to increased cancer risk mm. through nitrates. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here's a big one that I think is pretty controversial. We've had entire discussions. We've had an hour and a half discussion on this a while back in my nutrition ammunition class. Listen to this one really carefully. Sugar does not directly cause cancer. Okay. Okay. The thing with sugar is diets high in sugar are generally also high in fat, low in fiber, low in vitamins. Sugar is closely associated with junk. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I love sugar in a little moderation at my Ben & Jerry's stop or, or an occasional dessert, despite the fact that I can't taste sweet anymore after my cancer treatment. Mm. I still like the thought of sugar sometimes. Um, but the thing is, the sugar itself is not the enemy. The, the thing is, it displaces nutritious foods at all, in, you know, in our diet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So use it in moderation. moderation. It's a tool. Pick it up. Put it down. All right. Um, Go ahead. We know that obesity increases cancer risk, and it also increases your risk of dying from whatever your cancer is. So the, the what we call the comorbidities. The, Huge with obesity. So those are things like diabetes, things like heart disease. Yes, and just the treatment of the cancer itself becomes more difficult in very large people. And as a nation, we are becoming very large people. Quickly, Beth, do we know about diets in other cultures? Do we see lower incidence of, of, of cancer in other cultures where the diet's different, maybe a little healthier than the American diet? We do. We see uh, decreased risk in Mediterranean diets, which are higher in olive oils, monounsaturated fats, lower in meat items. But, you know, we also know that those people who live in those other cultures, Kim, are more physically active. Okay. They don't sit in front of their computer all day. You know, okay. they're out walking and doing things. So it's a, con- it's a combination of lifestyle yeah. factors. It doesn't happen in isolation. It's diet. They're more active. Um, I also know, having traveled quite a bit and having visited many different cultures, that that um, other cultures sometimes place more of an emphasis on family, more of an emphasis on community, more of an emphasis on social time. Mm-hmm. Um, some cultures, they, they, they don't live to work. They, they work to live. Right. And so there's a different level of kind of pressure and stress, more sense of community in some cultures. Well, that's absolutely true. And the other thing I can think of, Kim, is there's no one best food. I love to say that God didn't make one perfect food and give it to one guy to sell to the rest of us. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, you will read this or that study, you know, and it's maybe an isolated incidence of this or that. Right. Sure, those may be great foods, but you still have to take it in context of an overall healthy diet. I have people all the time who want to add one food or do one thing to make themselves all better, and the fact is it's like they're wanting to run without walking. They're still not eating 8 to 10 fruits and vegetables a day. They're still not having three servings of whole grains a day. They're still not exercising. Right, getting out there and getting... Yeah, yeah. adding the pill isn't going to fix it. Isn't going to fix it. Well, um, we are getting close to our time here. Um, This is... I feel like I could talk for the entire afternoon with you guys um, on this topic. It's just amazing. Um, 
and uh, you're both just terrific to be with us to share to share your stories. I want to just mention a couple of resources for folks um, so that they can learn a little bit more about some of the issues that we're discussing. There are a few websites that offer nutritional and exercise information for pe- people affected by cancer. The National Cancer Institute, which is of course from the uh, from the U.S. government, has a great overview of nutrition and cancer care. Um, you can visit www.cancer.gov. Uh, also, the American Cancer Society has a section of their website devoted to providing nutritional information um, as well as a section on exercise for cancer patients, and you can visit their website at www.cancer.org. Um, of course, Pam, we have your website, which is www.yogainnoxville.com, and I know there's information and advice on that site about how to enhance your physical and spiritual uh, well-being. We certainly want to encourage everyone to visit the Wellness Community's website at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. There's a lot of information on there about our 100 locations across the world, information on support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise. Um, I want to dedicate our show today to all of the wonderful Wellness Community volunteers and folks across the country, people like Beth and Pam who are helping to make our classes like uh, Nutrition Ammunition, uh, Gentle Yoga, available at no charge for all people affected by cancer. Uh, Again, we've got uh, locations all over the United States and even some locations abroad. Uh, All of our services are provided free of charge at the wellness community for people affected by cancer, people with any cancer, any stage of their disease, and also for their family members and loved ones. Thank you again, Pam and Beth, for being with us on our show today. And until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, thanks, Kim. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org.